When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's a goal. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? All right. Well, back in the saddle, I suppose. <sighs> Hello. So two months, bushfires and one pandemic later, I come back to you now at the turn of the tide. And indeed, for our 100th, yes, our 100th podcast. Wow. One whole century not out. So obviously, I conveniently plan to return from my holiday for this very moment. So yep, I'm back, a cue the siphoning off of new listeners and maybe the re-emergence of old listeners. And I'm joined by the Moyes and the kid today, who I heard do a fantastic job in my absence. The Moyes, of course, is Nick. But before we come to him, uh, we come to the kid in both a literal and metaphorical sense, who is, of course, FPL Stag. And we come to Stag first because, just in case you've missed the Twitter or the Instagram announcements, presumably because you have a life, uh, meaning you're not on social media, Young Anthony is from now going to be a permanent fixture on the podcast, an equal bona fide co-host. Yay! Uh, good day, Stag. How are you going? Hey, Tom. Great to have you back. Welcome back. And first of all, folks, a massive congratulations on making it to the 100. It's no mean achievement to make it there, to have the dedication to get there. So congratulations on getting to that. And secondly, yes, it is great to be on again and in a new capacity now as a perma host. So I am delighted that my performances have been up to scratch during my time as a caretaker and hopefully I can repay the faith that the board have put in me. But <laughs> enough of that from me, of course. This, just to say we are who got the assist. Our Twitter is WGTA underscore FPL, or you'll find Nick at WGTA underscore Nick, or me, FPL Stag, at FPL Stag. We're also on Instagram now as we move into the 21st century, so you'll find us at WGTA.FPL. That's a full stop. So if you're hip enough to be on there, check us out there too. You can find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, or wherever you get your pods. Right, so Nicholas, what are we going to be talking about this week? Fantastic to have Stag join us on the pod as a full-time host, and he did a brilliant job standing in for Tom Wentz on his travels, having given up his precious for the past couple of months. So yeah, it's our 100th pod this week, which is uh, very exciting. So first, I think we're going to reflect on being 100 not out, um, talking about a few sort of the highlights, I guess, of, of the last uh, 99 pods, and just a few uh, momentous moments. And uh, then we're going to be moving on to form versus fixtures in FPL, uh, because we talked a lot about fixtures, but less so perhaps about form. So we're going to be discussing that and um, moving on to our usual features and question section after that. I guess we start off with the game reviews then, uh, just to get kicked off. Uh, game week 28, one to forget, the lowest average game week, I think, of the entire season, according to the official FPL account. And uh, yeah, it was, it was a really bad one for me. I mean, I saw on the uh, live FPL site that I had a green arrow initially with my 29-pointer this week, but that, that devolved into a small red. Um, I'm at 375k at the moment. Um, I, during the time I was away, I had a couple of very good weeks. Well, I do. I triple captain Mo Salah um, in game week 24, I think that was, and got the 48 points. So that was good. Um, and then in game week 25, I wild carded and got uh, a 77 or something like that. I had a full, first ever full house of clean sheets. Um, that, so that was good too. And then after that, I just kind of reverted to mediocrity again. Um, just kind of gone all the way down to the borrow of uh, yeah 375k and this week's 29 did nothing really to do that 
Um, I brought in two Leicester boys, Perez and Barnes, uh, thinking, well, you know, I'm going to double pivot into the Leicester, uh, the Leicester game, which we'll talk about later on. Uh, and neither of them returned. Both got blanks. And uh, yeah, it was only you know, kind of Jimenez and Taylor, uh, Charlie Taylor, uh, who did anything for me, um, as most other blanks as well. So yeah, uh, a really bad and boring week for me. Um, I'm not sure that'll be one that will uh, be dwelling on for too long. Uh, Stag, how'd you get on? So a little bit better than you, Tom. Um, 40 points, but with a minus eight hit, uh, which was taken very unexpectedly on Friday. So 32 points was actually enough for the slightest of green arrows. So I'm now at 810k overall. So not exactly uh, all that impressive, but given the context of the week, I'll take it. The initial transfer I made was to bring in Bruno Fernandes for Adelaide Decora, who of course did go on to get an assist against Liverpool and score quite well. But at least Bruno Fernandes came in and scored, so repaid my fit. And then I had quite a bit of budget remaining and the early team news came out about Leicester, that Vardy was injured. So I wasn't going to hold Vardy anymore for the blank game week. I was fed up of him anyway. So I traded him in for Mason Greenwood, who I suspected would start and was just a good enabler. And I used the budget um, pretty much just to get a Leicester player in and have Iosi Perez in, in midfield. So I, I upgraded Isaac Hayden for him, which look on paper, it sounded good. I'm happy I took the risk because this is the sort of thing that I feel I need to do going into these closing stages of the season if I want to get to the even the top 100k realistically at this point would be a pretty big achievement so yeah look it was pretty much going into Sunday I had almost no points at all it was all twos and ones and then Fernandez, Calvert-Lewin and Jimenez kind of came in for me on the final day Captain Salah that didn't exactly work out either but that happened to everyone else so we'll take it we move on we go again and we're well set up for the next few weeks and you Nick? I actually took a, a minus eight this week. So, yeah, it wasn't the best of weeks. So I ended up with 32 points in total. So, uh, yeah, pretty bad week. Not one I want to flex on for too long. Uh, but I think everyone felt the pain, really, with that sort of fellowship of triple Liverpool just blanking for everyone and the captain as well. Um, it, luckily, I did get returns from Jimenez and Calvert-Lewin on the Sunday. So it wasn't a complete washout. But, um, yeah, my transfers didn't particularly work out. Harvey Barnes came in on the Friday um, with the early team news, um, hearing that he would definitely start, brought him in for Greenish. Um, uh, Reese James came in as well and just got the one point. Unfortunately, I brought in the, the wrong Chelsea fullback. Um, Jimenez was the only part of that minus eight that did work out um, as a replacement for Aguero, so he got myself a return. But yeah, all in all, um, not a great week. And I think it ended up being about a 50k red arrow for me. Ideal time to talk about the 100th podcast and we're in celebratory mood after the FPL events of the weekend, huh? Uh, but I suppose the first thing to do is reflect upon that. And uh, Anthony, I suppose uh, as the uh, know, as the newcomer, as as the uh, as the newest uh, addition to our collection, we'll hand over to you for now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> great. So I I feel like I've taken a few uh, leaves out of the football manager press conference playbook really with this. You know, 1,000 games in charge. How does it feel, Tom? But <laughs> that said, there is really an element of okay, 100 pods is an awful lot. That's more than 100 hours recorded and well over 500 hours probably at least editing for you, Tom, uh, not to mind, uh, mind a little bit as well. <laughs> and so it's kind of like, can you believe that you've even lasted this long or that the pod has kind of gained the following it has? It has definitely been crazy from like, how we started, which was literally just Nick and I in my living room, like, recording something being like was that all right i, I don't know uh, who, who's gonna listen to this is it gonna be is it gonna be all right like do we sound all right do we sound weird does that all sound a bit strange um i, I guess now like i listened to a couple of like bites from really old episodes like ones without even a, a title um you know like it just said 
pod 17 game week eight or something like that and we sound so different i think i think we sound so much more like stilted and awkward okay probably people might still say we sound the stilted and awkward but back then i really did think we, we were just like oh my god it's, it's so different to how we are now so if you've persevered with us for that long god bless you <laughs> yeah i can't quite believe that it's been 100 pods it, it does feel like a bit of an achievement as as tom said yeah we've, we've come quite far since we first started the pod just recording you know over the summer a couple of years ago just not really knowing um what to do or what we're doing exactly or if anyone would listen and just to um to grow with the community as well which has grown over the past couple of years has um you yeah, been amazing and so, Nick, I, I know you're the you're the financial man, so maybe it's you I'll come to with this. So, when Arsene Wenger joined Arsenal, he, he brought a kind of a culture shock to the likes of Tony Adams by bringing in uh, different types of food. He replaced saturated fats with all sorts of sports nutrition. And so, kind of in that sense, what was on your list of priorities when you first came to the community? And do you think you've achieved that in a hundred pods, Nick? <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know if um, I was trying to, you know, make a, a massive impact on the community in terms of changing the way that we, we think about FPL. I think what we tried to do, we tried to fill a bit of a gap in the market when it came to the podcast out there, as in there wasn't really like a, a geeky stats based one. Um, a lot of the uh, the other podcasts out there were kind of more about the entertainment, about community you know, comedy and jokes. It's not really mine and Tom's things. We're a bit more stilted and awkward, perhaps, as uh, some of our reviews have said. So, you know, we, we try to go for our own thing, which is kind of like looking at data, looking at numbers, looking at stats and, and try and, you know, present uh, good arguments um, for bringing in players. And, and generally, at the end of the day, we wanted to give out advice to our listeners and hope that we've achieved that in over the past hundred pods. Some of the feedback suggests we might have, which is quite nice. I think it's just kind of looking at, as you said, evidence-based stuff. I think a lot of our kind of annoyance before was talking about your own team and just saying, oh, this this happens because I like the player. Like, I think that going beyond that and kind of saying, all right, you need to back that up with something has been one of the things that kind of got us exercised in the first place and thinking, yeah, we'll give it a go. And I'm I'm glad to that that's kind of, you know, just, just using stats to back up anything that you say has become a, a real mainstream thing now. And I think that just wasn't really the case. Um, it was my observation kind of years ago when we started. So, yeah, I think that's been really good. And obviously stuff like talisman and value, uh, people kind of picking up on that and uh, adopting that as part of their kind of thought process as well has been really cool to see. Yeah, absolutely. And maybe kind of tying in a little bit with what's been kind of interesting to kind of watch. And this is something I've also experienced since I joined the Twitter community and started writing myself. But Tom, it is something you've oft mentioned that having a podcast has changed your FPL style. Maybe that's a feeling of being somewhat accountable to the people on Twitter and not being able to take the risks that you may have liked to take. So you'd have talked about before that, you know, the season before you launched the pod, you'd had a top, what was top 3K rank or something. And maybe the pod has definitely changed your view on how you attack every game week. Has that changed with time, A, with the pod, and B, have you started trying to counter the effect of the pod on your own decision-making? Oh, God, I'm a terrible FPL manager these days. Christ knows why people are still listening to me. Um, <laughs> I, I just don't know. I think before, like, I'd make a lot of kind of um, instinctive decisions, shall we say. Like, I'd take a lot of gambles. I'd look at my mini league and think, okay, who's not owned very much or who's going to be a unique captain? And it was only within the universe of that tiny mini league going on twitter kind of opened that mini league up to being basically the entire fpl verse right so suddenly this kind of whole notion of the top one percent this whole notion of top one percent finishes you know um having these ridiculous records really kind of 
was something that was in my face a lot of the time. And I think that kind of impacted how I did things. I looked at ownership for the first time ever. I've never really done that before. And like all of these kind of created concepts and kind of constructs, I suppose, that I never really thought about started to have a real impact on my FPLing. And it's, it still continues to this day where I'd be, I was, I was still, for example, Captain Salad this weekend, whereas I think a few years ago, I, I probably wouldn't have, but I'd have done something a little bit different, you know, done the Mark Southerns. And I really wish I kind of had that, but I think I've just kind of, I don't know. Maybe I've just lost it. Like the deal of the devil seems to be that if your podcast does well, your FPL doesn't. So um, I think I'd probably take it actually that my podcast is doing all right. <laughs> but there you go. I mean, Nick's done all right, though, haven't you? Yeah. So I think uh, before we started, before we ever did the podcast, you basically beat me every single season that we played FPL. Even the season where I think I, I finished about twenty k was the season that you, you finished three k. So it's kind of like I was always kind of in your shadow in terms of scoring FPL. Of course, as soon as we started the pods, you were doing absolutely terribly that first season, and I had um, I think I had my best ever finish because I was um, I was up at almost eight like k and stuff at one point, and yeah, just just holding the fort for, for the podcast really in terms of actual competency. Though so, um, you know, last season was okay, not particularly good, and this season's been not particularly good for me as well. I definitely feel like that opening season, just having the you know doing the pods week in week out gave me that advantage because I I had to meticulously look at the data to try and make sure I knew what I was talking about and. Uh, yeah, maybe having a child, you know, so I slowed down a little bit in the last season or so, but definitely feel like um, the opposite, I guess, in terms of Tom, the, the podcast has um, improved my FPL game as opposed to damaged it, supposedly. But um, perhaps it's also been because I've been less removed. I've not I've been less close to Twitter and like yourself, Tom, and obviously you've been, you know, huge, huge role you've had in the uh, Twitter community in terms of growing the, um, the main who got the assist account as well. So, uh, then one other question we got in from a friend of the pod, Adam Pritchard. He was asking, so of all the 100 episodes that we've done, I guess, and you guys have done, who is your favourite and least favourite FPL player in the game? Supposedly not our um, favourite FPL manager then, which is how I interpreted no. this question first. I was like, who can I say is this my least favourite FPL manager? I, like, no. I think um, if it is um, FPL players, I think... Um, if we start with, um, I suppose since we started doing the podcast and it came up actually, it reminded me when, when we did the Twitter thread just about my experiences with Hazard over the first couple of years, and especially like um, how some of the guys said that I, they'd never seen me or never heard me so angry before when I talked about Hazard and how he'd been um, trolling me. And I used the word troll uh, quite a bit at that point as well, which um, a few people um, said I shouldn't be using because it was a negative word. And you know, whatever, it's just poor form that I couldn't pick the play at the right time. But my personal experiences with Hazard, perhaps, whilst I was doing the podcast at least, making my, my uh, least favourite FPL player, even though I actually, you know, love to watch a player live and I think he's an amazing talent, amazing footballer, just when, just from an FPL perspective, I had an absolute nightmare with the guy. So that's why um, I've said he's my least favourite, or at least I picked him out as my least favourite FPL player. Um, in terms of my favourite FPL player, I guess since we started doing the pod, I know it sounds a bit cliche, I just had to say it was Mo Salah, just because I think that first season I had him for every single game week, 38 game weeks, and he just really smashed it for me that season. Um, and the second season as well was ever-present as well. And so was um, Andrew Robertson, who was also my second pick in terms of, sort of my favourite FPL player just last season, just being ever-present for my side. I think he only missed one week for me, which is sort of like the, uh, the free hit week. Um, both of those guys were just absolute sort of stars in terms of um, contributions towards my FPL uh, performance. So I think those are probably the guys that say the best players I think. 
last couple of seasons it was Hazard. This season, I feel like it has to be Rico, who's actually been my only ever present player this season, to be honest. But he just keeps coming on. He just ends up on, in my team every week. I don't know why he ends up in the team. He ends up getting nine pointers on the bench. And then when he comes in, he gets one, zeros, or the occasional minus one. It's just like, who is this guy? I can't stand him. So uh, he, he's my uh, least. And even in like a, a blank week, he decides not to play at all, which just means no points there either. So, uh, yeah, not great. Yeah, no, yeah, not very good yeah. at all. Yeah, no, I think my my least favourite uh, FPL player. Oh, that's a tough one, actually. Um, Surely your your bet noir, Tom. Oh. Rondon, I think. Yeah. Oh God, I, I don't know what it was about that guy. I just, I think whenever I he was a sort of player, but whenever I kind of even vaguely considered him, he, he absolutely he was he actually did nothing. And then whenever he wasn't in my team, he absolutely smashed it. Um, I think he just my hatred for him just grew and grew over time. And there was a, that, that nice run of fixtures, wasn't it, when he was at Newcastle end of last year and you couldn't stop scoring. And uh, I, I kind of relented finally one one week. I think it was the free hit week and brought him in. And in that week, in that kind of uh, game week, in that on in that match, he like had the highest xG, had the most shots on on target of any forward. Didn't score. <laughs> so I was, I was I was I was livid. Never looked at him again. And then uh, went on to score a brace in the next game. Absolute. Uh, okay. um, <laughs> uh, the, my favourite FPL player. Oh, it's quite a tough one actually. There are quite a few. Uh, the boring answers are probably Sadio Mane. Um, I mean, I think his progression from uh, uh, kind of ex Southampton also ran to a world star has been incredible, and he's been in my team quite a lot. Um, and uh, Raul Jimenez as well, just for the uh, just for talisman theory. Um, talisman theory also uh, means Pascal Gross is uh, another one who comes to mind straight away, just because he used to be part of our little kind of cover. Um, as a joke pick as well, it's worth pointing out um, Bro Potus, otherwise known as Kennedy, um, who uh, graced my team last season for a good eight or nine uh, weeks uh, and did absolutely nothing during that time. An honourable mention as well to a Chupo mistake, uh, Eric Maxim Chupo Moting, uh, now of PSG fame, uh, who also graced my team for a long time. I think he scored a brace against Man United, didn't he? And we all thought he was the next big thing coming over from the Bundesliga. And then after that, he proceeded to give us a procession of blanks. So there you go. Uh, we did reach out to Twitter to ask them a few uh, of their favourite moments, if they remember anything at all indeed. Um, a few kind of things that people said. The first thing was Duffy! Um, so um, I, at one point, riotously celebrated when uh, Shane Duffy scored a goal uh, when I was on holiday, I think it was at the time. And uh, I remember, Nick, you giving me the news that Duffy had scored. And because you didn't own him, you were audibly pissed off. And there was me running around the little apartment. That we were... <laughs> uh, so that's been said by FPL King, uh, Rich Nyquist, FPL Chancellor, Orsamo, and Abinab. Um, another moment as well is Dadwatch from this year. So Mr. Fish, Late Riser, um, and also Flapjack have said when Nick's dad was Magnus Carlsen, of uh, FPL as uh, some of you met the great man uh, over Christmas and uh, yeah um, I don't think he's doing as well we'll talk about dad watch this week um, personal histories was mentioned so Rishi FPL Raccoon who we've met in real life has on the pod as well and FPL Feed the Goat um, who we've met at the last couple of meetups mentioned that our intros with Nick and Tom were quite cool worth listening to if you want to find out a little bit more about us um, but yeah thanks for that I'm glad someone actually did bother to listen to those uh, Nick Savaging Hazard um, was mentioned by a couple of people so Samantha and Nick got very angry uh, listening to that and uh, Hindu Monkey remembered me savaging Joe Hart as well as, at one point um, I believe I that hasn't everyone <laughs> <laughs> oh dear me um other things are uh, people realizing we we make uh, we do themes every week so fpl jb said he suddenly realized the mick and uh, rick and morty references were being made a uh, flub dub 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 mem- uh, moment uh 
James Q uh, said that he realised the national was there, and uh, Tommy Gemmell uh, said that he realised we were doing themes. But he was listening to us, and he had, he kind of had, had a um, an epiphany that we were dropping in themes, so it made him stop jogging for just a second. And uh, one of my personal favourites as well, unnecessary interest in Nick's wife, <laughs> Death Star FPL and Claret FPL both remember this. Uh, a great moment on FPL Twitter when someone uh, said, uh, "Oh, the voice on that theme is super sexy," and Nick just replied, "That's my wife, mate." <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, um, I think we're going to run that section at the risk of sounding too self-indulgent. But thank you very much for all the support. It's been absolutely incredible. Yeah, cheers, guys. Thanks for all those moments. Brought back a few memories there as well. Yeah, and uh, many more to come, I'm sure. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? So we're back and we're going to go to our main section, which is discussing form versus fixtures. And we're just going to be discussing about whether it was bad decisions by us ultimately to focus so much on, on teams like Leicester perhaps which had the fixtures rather than looking at some of the form players you know the likes of Calvert-Lewin for instance the likes of Bruno Fernandes and uh, uh, Jota at Wolves as well and um, we had some questions um, generally on this as well Our first question was from Rich P who asked us how many weeks do you wait before buying an informed player and the example he gave was of Bruno Fernandes who, who is the informed player right now um, in the Premier League and I, I mean in terms of my experience, I definitely feel like I have put too much emphasis on fixtures um, instead of form in the past and something perhaps I need to look at in terms of my overall games to try and, you know, not miss the boat so often in terms of these form players just because I'm so obsessed with fiction. You know, the example of Hazard was partly... I was always trolled by the guy because of the fact that I, I always focused on his good fixtures as opposed to perhaps, you know, trying to find those four moments. And um, previously, you know, I made mistakes like, you know, Rivardi never owned him in this winning season for Leicester and, and Danny Ings perhaps this season as well, though slightly paid off. With Bruno Fernandes, sometimes there's a little bit of luck involved, I guess. It, you know, that goal was a shot that Pickford should have saved. Ultimately, it was a, it was a shot from range. Uh, he is on penalties, but most of his goal attempts are... Um, from distance he has fewer in the box though looking at the underlying stats just from this particular game week he he had six goal attempts which was the most out of all midfielders in the game and two of those were in fact inside the box so he's definitely a player that's playing with confidence player in form and a player that we frankly should be considering for our FPL teams regardless of the um, the fixtures for Manchester United I mean unfortunately for myself I, I do still have Anthony Martial and at my time he was my preferred pick over the two and I feel like I, I still kind of stand by my reasoning at the time with the benefit of hindsight I didn't know about Bruno being on penalties I saw Martial as a, a number nine sort of out of position forward and I thought he would be taking on that that talisman role at uh, Manchester United though it seems like he has um, he's going to be uh, forever the Riker at United, Martial, be it Pogba, Rashford or Bruno Fernandes that steps up into that talisman role. Uh, Martial, I watched that game and I just I felt he looked so lethargic when they were going forward. I didn't see any sprinting runs, you know, any, any uh, you know, counter-attacking pace on him. He just looked like he wasn't in the game at all, which was a bit concerning. Though, you know, I don't know if it's worth a straight swap for that kind of player, you know, to bring in the form player, Fernandes, get rid of Martial, who was showing a little bit of form, to be fair, up until that game. Mm, yeah, I, I see what you mean. I mean, Bruno definitely is amongst the cohort of players. I mean, Orsmo asked us as well about this. Um, highlighted Bruno, Calvert-Lewin, who, who spoke about, Doherty, uh, Jota, all the players who have form. Uh, in contrast, the likes of Vardy, Pereira uh, and Perez um, have had the, had the fixture this week and have got the fixture coming up. Uh, but form really was the clear winner this week. And I guess kind of um, you know, with Bruno, yeah, definitely makes sense to have brought him in. 
the question is going forward with those fixtures still did you still go over the fixtures and think oh okay well the fixtures aren't they're great going forward so maybe he'll stop uh the, the form that he's showing or do you keep going i mean bruno looks like uh uh, the reincarnation of Christian Eriksen in FPL, doesn't he? All those kind of long-range shots and uh, lots of creativity, I suppose. Um, it definitely seems to reinvigorate you know, to some extent. Um, but on Leicester, I think, is quite an interesting one to talk about. Like, was it a bad decision to look at Leicester players this week? Uh, one way of thinking about this is through something called outcome uh, bias, which is uh, a digression, um, is a behavioural science thing, which uh, is also used in poker a little bit. Um, it's called resulting in poker. And as FPL nutbags, I suppose, we make decisions a lot based on information and data analysis, but often we'll fall prey to outcome bias in evaluating how good that decision was. So this week, we looked at Leicester, we looked at the fixtures and thought, you know what? They've got Norwich, Aston Villa and Watford to come. Well, why not jump on? Because at the end of the day, that could be the precursor to form being sparked. Norwich have got the worst goal difference in the Premier League. They still do, minus 26. So surely that was worth a bang. Um, of course, if you are resulting or you're falling prey to outcome bias or you're crowing on Twitter, you'd be saying, well, getting Leicester players in was obviously a terrible idea. Um, and you're, you're judging the decision based on the outcome uh, rather than analysis, which actually did make sense. Like, I think it was still a good calculated risk to jump on the Leicester players because at the end of the day, like, does form exist and can fixtures create form is, one, is definitely something worth talking about. Because if you're saying, well, you know, the form wasn't there, what starts to kind of create that form again? Surely fixtures has got to be something which does kind of mean that form starts to appear because at the end of the day, we're saying that Leicester are never, ever going to uh, perform, never, ever going to win a game of football, never, ever going to score a goal, anything like that. Like if you do have, if you are playing the bottom team, and the second bottom team, two very leaky teams, surely that is a good time to jump on and kind of hope. Um, yeah, what's your take on this, Stag? Maybe kind of getting back to Rich P's question, which was just asking about really like how many weeks do we wait before buying an informed player? What even is it? And I think how a manager views form is so wrapped up in where their position is. Of course, you're going to play with even play with the majority. Just play, take the safe picks if you're going if you're up around the top 10k right now. You know, you can make marginal gains and kind of get to your probably top 1k goal with just you know careful risks but not going mental whereas if you're at 800k like me you have to jump on someone like Bruno Fernandes early and so I had him for the last game week one good game week and that was it I was I was in I guess I was helped by some promising Europa League uh, performances as well I think he had five man of the match performances in his first five games for United which is pretty staggering but like look when you've got a player with proven ability like he had uh, who was perhaps, in his case, he was a new signing, but it could be another player who was out of form or fi- who had had tough fixtures, who was just kind of coming back in or who was previously injured. Like, th- like there's an element of sense there to bringing these players in that maybe isn't there with when some kind of random Connor Wickham type player goes on a run. That's the, that's the challenge with FPL. Uh, and maybe that's where someone like Diogo Jota now is like, is he benefiting from form or fixtures or from both? And that is the challenge. Like we've already seen him absolutely soar in previous years. Uh, and then I was just trying to think about like, someone was, there was questions about whether form even exists. Uh, and for me, like, I think it's quite clear that it, it does exist, but because of different reasons, one of those is just 
just classic, you know, talent getting its chance, be that because of a change in the system. We've seen Deli Ali, let's say, benefit from that under Jose Mourinho earlier this year when he first came in. Uh, Danny Ings also kind of benefited from Southampton pivoted kind of post the Leicester mauling earlier in the year. They also maybe could be a change in management, DCL surge, or the post-Ole coming in last season would be two good examples of that, or just recoveries from injury, for example, just talent might get its chance after coming back in again. But then there's also an emergence, and I think it's those emergences that are really what make or break an FPL season. So if you think back a few years ago, we all thought that Deli Ali playing well for a few games for Spurs was pure fluke but no no it did prove not to be he continued it for the rest of that season as did harry kane in another season may even have been the same one tammy abraham earlier this season is another good example Mourinho had ridiculed him pre-game week one we'd all seen him before playing for swansea he'd had a good championship season but i don't think any of us believed that he could put together the form he did in the early season against particularly easy teams and then Maybe if you look forward, you think, could Mason Greenwood or Bakayo Sacco or even the likes of players at clubs who are fighting for survival, your Cantwells, your Pookies, your Hallers, etc., come good in the coming weeks? Uh, and then I've just thought of this, just to break down a little bit more for people who are listening, because I just thought there were different types of emergences. And there's, like, there's the financial emergence, and that's the, maybe to do with bonuses. And there's a really good piece in The Athletic actually just this week. And it was speaking about the importance of securing Champions League football for Arsenal players in terms of their overall salary. I think they said it was like 20% of their overall salary is contingent on Champions League football. And now that they haven't got the Europa League group, that's a pretty good option there for them. Contractually, then there's another one that players who are trying to get new contracts in that... uh, You've uh, remember Mark Viduka and Yakubu were two classic ones that came in and would turn it on when it was necessary to get a new contract. And then players looking for moves or to get into squads for major championships, the likes of Jack Grealish and James Madison are effectively in a 1v1 battle for a place in the England squad or moves and even to bigger clubs. And then freakish periods are just another thing. So maybe Igalo's half season at Watford, Richardson getting his good half season, etc. So maybe that's kind of what I've thought about form it's almost like a treatise on what is form and what to do with form but almost like every fpl question we get it really does boil down to your team where you are what you need yeah i think there's a sort of you have the benefit of that sort of retrospective analysis um to say oh leicester weren't informed that they were out of shape and that seems to be kind of the general consensus that seems to be around at least in terms of um all the analysis with the benefits of the hindsight but to be to be honest i don't think there was anything wrong at all with uh, picking Leicester players for that Norwich game it made eminent sense at the time you know like Norwich were a team that bottom of the table hadn't scored in three game weeks they'd just been um, smashed by Wolves 3-0 um, supposedly Leicester was struggling for form but they'd had only played sort of Chelsea Wolves and City and it was all tough games to be fair you know I wouldn't have expected nine points on those games wouldn't have expected um, plenty of wins and you know they came out with um a couple of draws and, and a tight loss against Manchester City in, in what was a close match ultimately and just a 1-0 defeat. And, and for that, they, they'd um, annihilated West Ham and another team at the bottom of the table 4-1. So looking at um, that, that fixture run, I was thinking, right, look, you know, Leicester don't only, only have Norwich, they've got Aston Villa and Watford and Brighton, so basically playing four teams in a relegation battle. Um, and even though you could argue that Leicester perhaps starting to head towards the beach, whilst those teams might have a little bit more to play for, um, you, you, had, you really had to fancy um, Leicester in those games. And also, you know, there's, there's a few sort of mitigating factors. We weren't really talking about Madison as an option, to be honest. We were saying this, this player's got decent underlying stats, but he hasn't 
he hasn't really got um, um, any assists in ages. I think it's been, now been a thousand minutes since his last assist. So I said, I can't go for this player. Whilst the players we were actually talking about, um, you know, we were saying, you know, Vardy's an option, but obviously he's, he's been on a huge front form anyway. He was injured, so it's a moot point when it comes to Vardy. If he had played that game, he might have been able to rediscover his form. We don't know. But um, the players we were hyping up, I guess, were Harvey Barnes, who was a player in form. He had three goals and assists in his last four starts for the club. And Ricardo Pereira, who's um, the top-scoring defender in FPL outside the Liverpool players, um, and had got a goal in assisting that 4-1 demolition of West Ham. So I feel like, you know, this whole sort of argument, perhaps, that the Leicester players was, was a bad idea. And, you know, some of the, some of the arguments people are making, I, I feel like a, bit, a little bit unnecessary, perhaps. Yeah, I guess so. I think the injury to Vardy especially threw a lot of light on this issue. And we've got a question later on about kind of using that early sort of team use. But I think with the upcoming fixtures, we had anticipated the return of the King and Vardy being able to, um, you know, reassume his mantle. He's still the top scoring forward. I mean, Nick, you just said there that Leicester are on the beach. I'm not too sure about that. I mean, how can you be on the beach if you're in the Champions League positions? I'm not, not too sure about that one at all. Um, but I can kind of see your point, uh, given the, the recent stuff. It's almost like they're still in the Champions League positions by default because no one's doing anything and it's kind of just united i suppose who are moving forward uh, painfully and uh, i guess just touch on the stags points there as well like i guess i think there are definitely lots of kind of elements of of what comprises form like even if you do believe in a thing called form uh, worth giving a shout out to the analytic crew on twitter um our friend simon at analytic fpl um i'm sure he won't mind me saying that he doesn't believe form exists at all um he said to me on a couple of meetups that it's not really a thing and i found a tweet of his from october um a couple of years ago uh, where he says that uh, we tend to use small sample sizes in our data sets and then when something does happen that's suits our narrative we act like it's predictive so he kind of thinks well with you know we need to use more data we need to be able to understand more from a long-term perspective and um, fpl howl in september this year said that too um, and we rogue as well uh, said that form may or may not be real uh, but he upweights recent data for players um I don't know. Form for me is like one of those sort of ineffable things that sometimes makes things happen. It separates kind of a scoring streak. So you know, Danny Ings going on. I think it was, uh, I looked at the earlier, 73 points he got between game weeks uh, 12 and 22. He returned in 11 of the 13 games. Uh, Calvert-Lewin, as Stag mentioned, under Ancelotti. Um, from, since game week 19, he's returned in eight of the 10 games, 60 points. Um, so I missed out on both of those. And I think it's kind of linked to something called hot hand fallacy, which is the idea that you can be in form. Um, so obviously it's from basketball, the idea that if you get one free throw in, that you're going to then uh, have a higher chance of scoring the next one. Study way back when uh, found that it was all misperception. They said it was the same as slipping a coin. But lots of new research, for example, by Josh Miller, look it up if you're interested. Uh, so it's actually okay to believe in the hot hand. So a re-evaluation of the initial study found there's an 11% uh, relative boost in shooting when you're on the hot streak. So there is some evidence nowadays that form does exist. And uh, yeah, I think, you know, given those examples of Ings, DCL, uh, you know, Stag mentioned Harry Kane, the emergence of him, Aaron Ramsey, one of the first ever bandwagons. It definitely does kind of link in. I think there is definitely a thing. When do you jump on? That's the art of FPL, isn't it? Fundamentally, uh, understanding when's a good time, when a player is about to go on a run and all the facts that we, that we always talk about, the wide picture, including the stats and the itis is what needs to inform that. Um, it's it's just such a wide-ranging topic i suppose that sometimes you're always going to make mistakes in this regard and yeah i definitely regret not jumping on dcl and definitely regret not jumping on nings this season uh, do you guys have any examples of players that you can think of uh, for whom form was listed by the fixtures 
the main example that I found was uh, Tammy Abraham. And I feel like this season, especially, he feels like the classic example. Um, so he's only actually had one goal against the so-called Big Six and, and Leicester that came against Arsenal. And he has seemed like he's a lot more comfortable scoring against his former championship rivals who he had previous form against when he was sort of, you know, scoring freely in the championship. And I guess this shows from his uh, season beginning form, he, he lanked, as you said, he got criticised uh, for his performance against United and Leicester in the first couple weeks of the season and then after that he went on this fantastic run all against these sort of newly promoted teams or recently promoted teams where he got a brace against Norwich, brace against Sheffield United and then a, then a hat-trick against Wolves before he then blanked um, against Liverpool, you know, a, a tougher opponent and I think for Abraham certainly he does feel like that sort of player that, you know, really proved himself against the uh, sort of the teams that he knew how to play against and previously played against and, and were weaker opponents compared to, you know, the, the tougher matches, so to speak. Yeah, for me, one of those players, Tammy Abraham is definitely the striking example this season. And I think in previous seasons, we've even seen kind of the inverse Tammy Abraham, which was around Jimenez last season when Wolves would struggle against mid-table and lower-ranked teams, but they seem to always pull it out against the top six. And I think... <laughs> That mean that kind of nearly underline undermines just what are fixtures and how important they are. But I think gets at the idea that motivation is such an important thing and how well a team will play as well. And that's such a hard thing to measure. But one player who I did pick out and maybe I benefited from, so he's strongly in my memory, is Sergio Aguero. I brought him in with good fixtures purely on with good fixtures in mind and benefited handsomely really from him just picking up having a few good game weeks against you know what were predictable uh, opponents that you know you expected him to do well against but then of course by succeeding with him for a few weeks I ended up kind of suffering with him as well for a few weeks as he didn't return against here we go bad teams as well you know he blanks against the likes of West Ham the likes of uh, even Spurs who didn't look like a strong team to be perfectly honest with you but then you know bangs uh, Patrick against Villa brace against uh, Crystal Palace and you know even picked up one against Sheffield United after coming off the bench unfortunately that week for me and so this is the thing it's like when it's form versus fixtures it's the chicken and the egg really of FPL. So maybe from thinking about how we judge when is the right time to jump on, because of course the time, the best time to jump on is just before they go on a run. But you're talking about complete luck at that point, which is perhaps what I had with Aguero. So coming as a player who's at 800k right now, like it's a little bit of form and a little bit of underlying stats, and I'm jumping on it. I think you guys would have, I think, refused to use underlying stats for quite a few weeks at the start of the season because they weren't a you know useful base, I guess. Whereas I think at this point, I'll be looking at very short-term underlying stats, maybe even one game, like even, let's say, Marc Alonso. All I need is just some sort of positive quote to indicate that he's going to keep his place in that Chelsea team. And I think he's going to come into my side just because we've already pointed out last week how Chelsea's fixtures are quite okay not brilliant but quite okay and he may be worth bringing in um, like I've been disappointed with myself maybe that sticking with Aguero there is one but then let's say the fixtures we'd identified Nick in the past two podcasts were those of Wolves and yet I went with Liverpool even though their form look, whilst getting consistent clean sheets their form was no longer as good as it had been for previous weeks there were an awful lot of like one goal wins there and yet I still and their XG over performance was by far and away the highest in the league uh, which was something we flagged I think last week as well but I still brought in Virgil van Dijk and doubled up on the Liverpool defence for the first time all season rather than getting in Matt Doherty who 
was actually the player that I was tipping on the podcast and kind of felt I should get, but didn't actually get. And this is like the, the classic. The way. This is the classic. Believe me, uh, it's always the way. Oh, oh, don't worry. It's been for, it's been for years on Stag's take on my road to world column the same. But <laughs> I think, look, ten game weeks left to go. I think it's those more instinctive picks that you have to start to go with uh, based on almost little data when you're struggling. Yeah, I think that that's put me in the mind straight away of Ismail Assar, um, your man from earlier on in the season, actually, um, who, uh, yeah, returned. And I, I think Brandon said this on the way cheating as well, but I was shocked by how many people seem to have him in. Like, he just come back from injury. Like, that is a, a otherworldly crystal ball looking witch king sort of stuff there. But yeah, never mind. Well, I mean, it's, it's a nebulous world, isn't it, form? And I don't even know if we've gotten anywhere within the middle earth of uh, what form is. Uh, but nonetheless, hopefully that was an interesting discussion for you guys. And hopefully it will help you uh, think uh, as you move forward uh, how you judge uh, fixtures versus form in your FPL team. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? All right, so we're back and it's on to the features now. A regular section where we speak about three things. It's the market forces, it's the stag's take, and it's dad watch. Uh, let's start with market forces. Nick, in the man across the numbers, what's going on? So it's uh, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang that's attracting most attention in the what? market. Um, yeah, well, you should have seen it last week, somewhere. he was the third most transferred in player despite having a blank, which was oh. very odd to see. But clearly a lot of attention towards the uh, the free-scoring Arsenal forwards, or should I say winger right now. Um, we have 178,000 transfers in at time of recording. A very, very popular uh, player, apparently, to currently be bringing in um, actually a player I'm, I'm considering myself um, for that West Ham at home game um, and it might even be a double though um, we don't know at this particular moment in time if there's going to be a double game week for Arsenal or not but yeah um, forwards actually dominating the market forces very heavily this week and um, the first third fourth and fifth most transferred in players all forwards uh, Jota uh, with 170,000 transfers in for Wolves Jimenez 107,000 and Calvert-Lewin the 97,000 transfers in lots of people are selling Vardy Abraham and Ings all attracting lots of sales at the moment perhaps partly because they've had slight injuries yeah don't forget uh, Firmino as well um, his fifth, fifth most sold as people learn the lesson that I learned earlier on in the season that he's just really bloody unpredictable and also incredibly frustrating to watch if you own him just looking for the pass every single time when you think Bobby just score man just score yeah, and then looking to the midfielders, it is, of course, the Bruno Fernandes or Bernandes train that's leading the way, in spite of the fact that United have tough fixtures. He's already risen by 0.3 since he arrived into the club. Uh, Ishmael Asmar, of course, the top scorer for the game week with 19 points, two goals and an assist to his name. After only coming back from injury the game week previous to that, is second is the second most transferred in midfielder, but only the seventh most transferred in player overall. You've got Kevin De Bruyne and Bakayo Sako leading up the, uh, the rest of the top four there both of them kind of I guess reacting to having had their blank and bringing them back in and then fly you fools to Richarlison who is the fifth most popular midfielder <laughs> yeah and it looks like um, well obviously uh, Traore is the most transferred out midfielder he's, he's got a shoulder injury at the moment a lot of people having to sell this guy 75,000 transfers out for him but also Anthony Martial um, attracting heavy sales I don't know if that's a straight swap uh, for Fernandez. a lot of people looking at the um, you know Martial's performance in that game he also was um, 
a doubt or had an injury problem before the game, which meant that a lot of people probably looking to, to sell him or, or sold him early on the Friday evening, thinking he was injured, um, when in fact it, it was another sort of dodgy soundbite from Ole Gunnar Solskjaer in terms of whether he was injured or not, very, very much up in the air. So um, Martial, um, yeah, the sixth most transferred out player right now, 50,000 also being sold in the midterms of midfielders are Madison and Grealish. Um, no surprises there, perhaps. Um, well, Grealish didn't even play, but um, Madison's in, in uh, seems bereft of form, at least, even though they've got quite a nice home match, as we talked about earlier, fixtures versus form. A uh, debate there. Yeah, uh, so it definitely seems like it's the uh, attackers who are being shifted around this week. Uh, especially interesting to see Saar um, in seventh, by default, being the top uh, point scorer this week, uh, being the, uh, the assassin that took Liverpool down. You'd be expecting him to, uh, to have been rushed to, but no, it doesn't seem that way at all. The FPL uh, buying community, the bots, as uh, James and Serge put it, and don't, doesn't seem to be behind Saar, which I don't know. Must, maybe it's to do with like, you know, name recognition or brand awareness or something that he's not bought in as much as... Uh, other players like Aubameyang who um, obviously is a very well-known player therefore seems to be bought a lot and the Man United crew are out for Fernandes but it looks like he's also kind of got the forms back it up next is a Stag's take uh, each week a Stag will be stepping up onto a soapbox to give his searing view of what's going on in the FPL community and maybe uh, advise us of something uh, maybe advise us uh, how to think about things a little bit better so Stag what do you think about this week? Think about things better. You're uh, putting under a bit of pressure there with that one. But with this <laughs> this week, I've um, what I've thought about is the fact that we're. I guess we're going into the last ten game weeks, and maybe a a game week like the one just passed, where perhaps the for the fixture book definitely was turned upside down, and maybe the expectations we'd have of the big teams again were turned upside down. With Liverpool and Leicester, I guess most notably losing at the weekend, and Chelsea, I guess being held to that draw as well. And so what I was thinking about was the slow horse race the fellowship I guess almost in the slow horse race at the in the final 10 games of last season and just how poorly some of the you know so-called big clubs did whereas some of the smaller clubs then thrived when the burning eye of the community was on them they climbed into their burrows so whilst City and Liverpool just led the charge City had 10 wins no draws no losses in their last 10 Liverpool had, had one draw and nine wins on their way to losing the title last season uh, it was like they were obviously predictably good. And it looks like this season, at most, we can hope for one of those, um, for just Liverpool, I guess, to continue their canter. But even now, they seem an awful lot more mortal. And But then you look at the rest of the, let's say, the top six as we know them now, or maybe the top seven, if we bring Leicester and Arsenal both into this kind of thing to keep everyone happy. Like Chelsea, in spite of the fact that Champions League football was kind of a must for them, still only got four wins, four draws, and two losses in that final bit. Arsenal, four... Four wins, two draws, four losses. Not too inspiring either. Of course, there was Manchester United going off a cliff under Ole in the latter half of his reign at the second half of last season. Just three wins, two draws, five losses and only scored 10 goals in that final section of the season as well, which was almost as bad as Cardiff City and Fulham, who eventually ended up going down. United were 14th in that final period, only a little bit worse than Spurs. One point worse than Spurs, who picked up 11 points from their final 10 games of the season. And you couldn't say that Spurs are in better condition now than they were you know, with 10 games to go under Poch at the end of last season with their Champions League run, diverting pretty much all of their energy. And so it's... I guess with our risks and the transfers we're making, let's not get totally tied up in A, tying in what we were talking about, fixtures, but B, don't get tied up in reputations. Like at the end, of, towards the end of last season, the third best performing team. Nick, Tom, any guess who was the third best team for the last 10 games of last season? 
19 goals oh. for, 15 goals against. Everton? Everton were fourth, Tom. Oh. Um, a good attempt. Wolves were sixth, Nick, so not a bad attempt, but it was actually Wise Boys. Crystal Palace. Ah, yeah. Six wins, one draw, three losses. In PVA, the final few games PVA the hell, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the PVA glue keeping them together as they went for the title. Or not went for the title, but went for survival <laughs> even. Yeah. And, you know, that's some serious performance. 19 points from 10 games. If they could do anything like that again, or if a team of their ilk could do something like that again, there's some serious value to be got from there. And I think there are plenty of sides that have that potential in the lower half of the table right now. Bournemouth are a pretty great example of it. You know, at this time last season, we would have been, definitely would have had the likes of Ryan Fraser and Callum Wilson in our teams uh, only for them to win only three games draw two and lose five towards the end of the season as maybe safety was assured that's not the same at all for them this season whereas Burnley for example performed extremely poorly at the tail end of last season maybe because their safety was effectively secured and that's how it is right now they're actually making a European push at the moment and maybe the likes of them the likes of Sheffield United may start to tail off and maybe other teams are going to profit from that yeah, it's definitely an interesting time. Uh, I'm glad that you've uh, given us a little glimpse into your plant here uh, for now. Right, and uh, Nick, finally, uh, let's see how it's going with Ian for now. Uh, it's dad watch. It's uh, been a bit of a sorry procession recently, Nick. I'm guessing it may have continued from what you said when we were off camera earlier on. Uh, well, yeah, I think he, he's uh, <laughs> lost his eye a little bit in terms of the game. I think we all, we all saw the, the brilliance of the White Wizard at the, uh, the beginning of the season <laughs> but in terms of his uh, overall performances. It's been uh, numerous red arrows, unfortunately. Uh, a 24-pointer, which actually is um, the same same as me, uh, fielded from seven men, though. So it, four of his players didn't play at all. Um, I warned him uh, pre-deadline that Jamie Vardy wasn't going to play and suggested he make um, a last-minute move to, like, Jimenez uh, my advice um, wasn't he did even though it was given two minutes before the deadline which is <laughs> perhaps a bit harsh from my, my perspective I just remember two minutes before the deadline that perhaps I should give him some warning about the early team news and just did not give him enough time unfortunately to, to sort his team out but um, he had the uh, Jordan Ayew come on get him seven points this week and uh, uh, also got points from uh, Ben Foster in an unlikely clean sheet against Liverpool so still still bringing a bit of jam out of the bag there I think in terms of the overall performance I think he's dropped now below you stag and sitting around the one million mark in terms of overall rank oh god he's got down to Helms deep now (laughs) (laughs) getting worse and worse oh just goes to show that uh, yeah eventually uh, all things will even out in the end won't they oh gambler's fallacy right let's take a break there and move on to the questions uh, hope Ian doesn't mind me going in two-footed on him there. That's all right. There's a rivalry starting to develop there after he pointed out that he was one point ahead. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> it's like oh my God, I can't believe it. It's me versus Nick's dad. He <laughs> was beating us all at the beginning of the season. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? So we're back and it's uh, time to catch up with the Who Got the Assist Mini League. And if you want to join the league, the league code is EIKX03. And uh, yeah, there's a, there's a new man actually at the top of the league, someone I haven't seen before. Um, and that's Jake Gallagher with Sheffield Wednesday. Uh, played his wild card this week uh, for 41 points, um, aided by uh, Lascelles and uh, Charlie Taylor. That um, nil-nil really benefiting him there. Um, and yeah, he's uh, overall rank 
42nd at the moment. So very, very impressive. Um, but yeah, it seems like he's uh, knocked um, Mark Bird and, and Luke Burgess off their pedestals. Um, so Mark Bird's in second uh, with Tweety Dreamers, uh, also got 41 points. Luke Burgess in third with Lukewarm FC. Um, in fourth is Adam Warner. Decent week for him, 53 points. Very nice four. A nice green arrow for him. Uh, Shambi is in fifth. Uh, we've never forget uh, Andres Dikos uh, with Legend Lampard um, in six, and then Andreas Torgstrom uh, with Syndicatet in seventh. Mud Moyanu Islam with Goal in eighth. Neil Thompson with Venkis out ninth, and Mono Javeri with the Cop uh, Red Arrow for him in tenth with twenty nine points this week. Cool. Yeah, well done, everybody. Especially well done to Jake, who's uh, I think a new entrance to the league. But yeah, a ridiculously uh, a ridiculous performance to, to enter on. So I can see why he's entered at that point. Right, moving on to the questions then. Um, the first question is uh, about the early news. So this week, the zeitgeist was dominated by Vardy Gate. Uh, that was the emerging news that Jamie Vardy was crocked in training and it was going to be a, a Nick Nacho star. Uh, so Cheto Chip says to us, congratulations on the 100th episode, lads. Uh, do you let early team news affect your plans? Uh, so he says, for example, he had planned Marshall and Lundstrom out this game week, but because of Vardy, um, he uh, wanted to go to DCL I didn't have enough time to start any other moves though um, but luckily he got away with it because Marshall played and he obviously got the goal from uh, DCL so it was a good thing for him um, but do we let early team news affect our plans and what, what I guess maybe we can ask what our views are as well of, uh, of these early kind of team news which seems to be proliferating with ICKs uh, coming out of all sorts of uh, dark places right now uh, Nick what do you reckon? Uh, so yeah I feel like there's been a little bit of criticism around the lack of information that we've got in the press conferences recently and for instance is these injuries are never announced to us before you get oh 10 minutes before the game yeah he's been injured all week oh well we didn't know about it you know example perhaps for this week was Danny Ings um, and you know the uh, confusion around Anthony Martial as well and I do feel like there's there's been some extreme there are some dodgy ITKs that perhaps can't be trusted but there's been some extremely useful ones this year um, like sort of um, FPL Rockstar for instance and he, he has helped a ton when it comes to the early news and I think it's definitely something that I take into consideration and impacts when I make my transfers so for instance this week I waited until the last minute and it was declared that Harvey Barnes was definitely playing because I know he hadn't started the previous game um, which um, aided my decision to bring him in and um, you know um, ultimately that particular decision didn't pay off in in the long run but I I will be waiting again uh, this game week with Liverpool being the only game 12.30 looking to see if there's any interesting news that might impact my transfers um, before the deadline and I think it's definitely something that needs to be taken into consideration I'm I'm not against it as a concept I feel like it's useful I think you just have to sometimes take it with a pinch of salt because you, you you know not every source is trustworthy and um, you do get lots of you know misinformation or fake news on twitter when it comes to um uh when it comes to sort of you know in the know accounts and stuff so just make sure you you, you can trust the person that's giving out that advice is all i would say as well yeah definitely i mean the first thing to say is that you absolutely feel for people who are where i was in australia or in hong kong or something you know eight hours 12 hours ahead fast asleep oblivious to the fact that their captain has been ruled out by a, a, a leaked team sheet or something like that like, that must be awful to wake up and just be like oh my god you know i've just spent taking a hit on vardy and if i was awake at god knows where, when in the morning i could have seen that and made a difference but uh, that's uh, that is really bad and that, that kind of uh, unlevel playing field i guess is is a bit annoying and it doesn't kind of sit too right with me however as nick said i, I don't think we can 
really kind of claim a moral high ground here is it is information which is useful at the end of the day and it is information which i don't really begrudge anybody using in terms of their fpl team and if you say oh you shouldn't really be using that then i don't know stats listening to a, a an FPL podcast in, in investing time and in finding out a bit more about FPL surely those are also uh, uneven things which some people elect to do and some people don't um, I guess the other thing to say as well is that um, in terms of it affecting our plans luckily we're at that point in the season now where value doesn't matter as much so it's much more valuable to have the information that we're going to get from places like Rockstar or you know in days past from places like the Anfield Express uh, than having that 0.1 so it's probably better to just kind of sit on your hands uh, exercise some self-control and just wait until you kind of hear um, towards uh, towards the deadline, I suppose. Uh, Stag, what do you reckon? Yeah, I'll keep it brief on it because you guys have pretty well covered the whole entire thing pretty well. But like, it's it's a blessing and a curse the early team is because you can easily just, for example, feel for the people in different time zones or just feel for the people who just happen to be busy. I missed the early team news about Aguero um, not being on the starting lineup for the game against Sheffield United a few weeks ago because I was in a bloody French class and so he ended up being my captain sure he picked up five points but I think my plan had been to sell him and I didn't go through with that because I was under the impression he was going to play and he'd had two good games and then I was a victim of it so I, I know it's like you don't necessarily need to be in Hong Kong or Australia to be a victim of the timing of the of it but at the same time my personal feeling is that with the casual FPL managers and nobody who's listening to this as a casual stop trying to identify as a casual if you're listening here like them those casuals being fed more and more info the sort of anorak details like pressers and in the no leaks like we need to use those to an advantage if we want to get a gain on these people so look of course it's going to lead to mistakes and that's maybe the skill part of the skill of FPL maybe be able to distill the credible in the nose from the not but at this point in a poor season for someone like me I need to take whatever marginal gain that I can take and I will continue to try to I brought in Ayuzi Perez off the back of the news and inevitably it did backfire this time but I'm still quite happy with the two fixtures he has coming up as well and I think he will play so I'm okay with that like look, the fact that Leicester played poorly doesn't means that Kelechi Nacho his place might be at risk and maybe Perez will get a chance up there with Jamie Vardy or even Vardy may not play because he should be fit for the weekend but what does should mean Brendan and and look like we've seen this similar danger uh, in the summer as well like when we're talking about like new signings or the emergence of new stars contrast the John Lundstrom preseason this season or Arnold Basaka last term or even the season that uh, Nathan Redden was playing as a striker for Southampton for a few weeks and scored once at the first game week so we all remember it or being everyone being fooled by the likes of Reese Oxford or even Pulisic, who this summer you know came in because of course he'll play because he costs so much, but he didn't at the start of the season, and it took quite a few weeks for him to come through and come into good form, only for me to buy him as he was on form, and then he went out of form, to link into our conversations of earlier. But I think that's enough on that particular topic, and maybe I'll link on to today's theme again with Pras United's question, and he was asking about. All right, so all the well-performing players, the likes of Doherty, Jota, DCL, Pope, Sar, they're all players who are likely to play in blank game 31. So I know, Nick, you and I are both on the free hit strategy, and Tom, I presume you are too, but what Mr. Prass United is asking about isn't the best strategy to get these guys over the next couple of weeks and then wildcard in 32. So he's, I guess, advocating in real uh, FPL terms a, a dead end to 31. Yes, it definitely seems that way. I mean, so Stag and I have both used our wild cards. So it's a little bit different for us. But Nick, I suppose you're the you're the man to to really step in here with your wild card intact. Like, are you considering? I mean, Stag just said that you know free hitting in thirty one could be an idea, but the long uh, and winding road to just basically 
aiming for getting 10, 11 men out in that 31 and then wildcarding straight after that, that dead end. Is that something that appeals to you at all? Because as as Price said, it could be a really, really good strategy. I don't really want to change my strategy at this particular moment in time. I think ultimately it depends. I suppose Liverpool, if if they are knocked out of the cup, then that means I would have three players straight away um, in that 31 and that may make make me change my mind. But... I mean, my plans are still to free hit in 31. I've still got my wild card intact, so I'm quite comfortable with having that wild card in the bag and in the bank for later. And it means I do have that opportunity to um, free hit in in 31. I'd, I'd have thought it would be the opposite way around, maybe that you know people without their wild card would be more inclined, perhaps, to to build a team towards 31 than those with their wild card. Why? Well, because you've already wild carded, so. You know, you can use your free hit in one of the double game weeks, for instance, so rather than mm. so you've got less, you've got less opportunity to to make the sweeping changes that I have. So, yeah. like when you say that, I I think about a team that has more than five Wolves and Watford players going over the next few game weeks, and that that alone is terrifying. And I think that's the sort of thing you'd have to do. And like like that could go really well for you. Like we've but we've seen both Wolves and Watford have good patches this season, but to really throw the eggs in one basket, and of course a risky eggs in one basket is the sort of thing I'm going to have to do. But at the same time, I feel like at least negotiate, like do a slightly dip, like a zag on the free hit in 31. But let's not for me anyway, Tom. No, I don't know. I'm 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 not as down on it as you seem to be. Like to be honest, okay. like what have Wolves got? Wolves got Brighton, West Ham, Bournemouth. Um, and then they've got Aston Villa after that. So um, th- there's definitely grounds for a triple up there, right? Watford have got Palace, Leicester, Burnley. You know, double up, triple up, I can see what you mean. I think coming back from... So say you get six, seven of those players. I mean, you've got you know, who else? Bournemouth, Burnley as well. I've got a guaranteed fixture now. And if we, don't, we don't know who else has got a 31 at the time of recording. But if you're making a team full of 31 friendly players, you don't have your wild card then you've got to spend the next few weeks unravelling that in order to be ready for the 34 and be ready for the 37 uh, to some extent. I guess I, I, see what saying, 34, then... I see what you're saying there. I think I don't really want to be spending my next few transfers. I know you've got three of them before this, this 31 game week. I don't really want to be spending them using them to, to, to bring in players that I'm not particularly comfortable with um, that I think that they've got the good performances. I want to be focusing on on bringing in those key players like Aubameyang and some other ones over the next few game weeks. And, uh, and uh, it reminds me of that first season where we both got focused on bringing in that, that triple West Brom for for that blank game week. And we ended up with, um, I think you ended up with Rondon. And that was, that was the season outrageous. before we started. No, yeah, it was. It. And it was, I remember I had sort of, you know, Chris Brunt and, and Johnny Evans and, um, you know, I think they didn't keep a clean sheet over that particular period of time, and it just we just completely, it just completely blew up our teams at that particular moment. And I don't really want a repeat of that. And you know, to to bring in, I know Watford had a really good game, but to bring in, you know, loads of Watford players and, and Norwich players or whoever else is playing for Burnley, perhaps. Um, so I think it doesn't really work for me. Okay. No, I, I think at the moment, since Wolves have the kind of seductive cocktail of good fixtures, good form and a guarantee 31, I can see why people are all kind of looking there. And just to bring another question as well um, on uh, Ismail Saar. So Sir Saar, Alex Tan asks if Saar is the best differential going. Like, 
uh, Watford as well, um, as we mentioned, as, as I said, Sag earlier, also a team who are in that sort of bracket. Like after being Liverpool 3-0, they do have a few OK fixtures to come. I mean, they're not amazing, of course, but I mean, Palace away, feasibly tough enough to crack them. Uh, Leicester at home, Burnley away, Southampton at home. Uh, an OK next four. So you can see why people have started to look at Saar, um, especially after they got uh, the 19-pointer, uh, the and uh, other players as well. And I think, well, they could be the players who could kind of fire you up the leagues and uh, be that sort of player for you. Um, in that vein, then, let's talk about Saar for a second. Uh, either of you think he is worth kind of jumping on? No, Anthony, you had him for uh, a few returns in the past. And, uh, you know, is, is he going to return to your team? Will it be the return of the Saar? So when I looked at that Leicester, that Watford team under Nigel Pearson, you know, they'd had a, a good first few weeks and all three of Delefeu at the time and Sar and Dini had been firing. And it, it, it kind of seemed to me that Dini was extremely reliant at that point, what, eight, nine game weeks ago, on penalties. And so Sar was the option that I went for as a midfielder, Delefeu being a forward, he was just getting that little bit more reward for similar underlying stats and seemingly similar outcomes and so I, I think I got three returns from him I think I got a goal and maybe two assists from him over the course of three game weeks which was pretty good going or maybe it was just two of those either way and then he got his injury and so I had to sell him and so that's how I unfortunately didn't end up having him for this game week I actually I had to Corey right up until the day before I guess and I, I sold him so maybe I would have ended up selling Sarah ahead of the Liverpool game who knows what sort of alternate reality we'd have been in but I think that just kind of goes to show I'm definitely a believer in Sarah I like what he does I think he adds an awful lot to that Watford team and you've seen how they've really dipped back without him in the last few weeks without giving any sorts of like searing detail on it I think they just really lack the impetus when they've not got a player of his creativity and ability on one side of the pitch like he can he is a player who both poses a risk to the opponent's goal and could actually set other players up and we don't have that many players in that six million bracket who can provide that and I think that's why he's so interesting and he's got plenty to play for that's not a team that's going to be going on the beach at all anytime soon and that's what interests me is most about Sarah yeah, just the numbers in that one game alone are absolutely crazy, aren't they? Two goals, one assist, next year of 1.42, uh, seven pen box touches, four shots on target. It's against the best team in the league, right? The best defence in the league, and he's able to do that. Like, yeah, that's certainly very interesting indeed, uh, especially like the way he played as well. It's just one of those things where you kind of think, God, that guy's got to come in for me. There's definitely kind of an echo of Raheem Sterling about him, especially that second that second kind of lovely finish and the kind of his position as well, receiving the ball from Dini, absolutely brilliant. Um, so there's definitely... Uh, uh, yeah, as a talisman, uh, the, the Hertfordshire talisman, Sarah, I think is definitely in my consideration. He could be such an easy move for me from either Perez or uh, uh, or Barnes. It's just the case that, well, I mean, they've got Villa, uh, Leicester, so do I really want to jump off them and... Uh, yeah, uh, and uh, commit some sort of uh, FPL suicide uh, by, by by doing so. I think he's certainly, you know, a fantastic pick. Um, ownership was 1.3%. He would have been the best differential for that Liverpool game. I do remember actually last time they played Liverpool earlier in the season was before he'd um, done much in the Premier League at all. He'd had a bit of a slow start to his career. And I remember Sadio Mane um, saying to Troy Deeney um, to look after him and, you know, to take care of him as a player because he's a quiet boy and a shy boy. And I think... After that, um, it was the following week that he really impressed and sort of came out of the limelight in that Manchester United game where he got a goal and assist the following week. And, you know, having a mentor like Mane, who's one of the best players in the Premier League, same nationality as so I think it's uh, very beneficial for him. And he's certainly a player that's um, really starting to shine in, in terms of his performances. Obviously, he had a little bit of an um, injury, but apart from that, you know, he's been fantastic since, um, since that week, um, Game of 18. 
Cool. And I guess another in the same vein, I mentioned the uh, Wolves as part of that kind of Wolves Watford double up of uh, being in the Goldlock zone when it comes to players we're looking at. Um, Jota. Um, so Medwoods asks, is Jota and Jimenez a thing? Uh, Juliet Deal says this with her going for a Jim Jot Bolly uh, sort of trio. And uh, at TA Arnold also asks, uh, is it time to jump on Jota? Uh, Taylor Cross also asks very, very similar questions. Double Wolves, a good idea. Um, so it, this is an interesting one as well, isn't it? Because like having a double uh, double from a strike force is something uh, with a wink to uh, Frank and Neil Murray, something we haven't seen since the days of Suarez and Sturridge. Uh, doubling up on the defender, defender and midfielder has been seen a lot more this season. So double defence from Liverpool, uh, KDB and Raheem Sterling. But I mean, I did have a look at Jota's stats, uh, tweeted on that earlier on, put on Instagram as well. For uh, please follow us on that. Um, uh, and I found that last season, of the last ten game weeks, he actually scored four goals, got three assists, and during that time, he was second for shots in the box and second for big chances um, amongst midfielders um, over the last ten uh, this time last year. So yeah, he's he's got that kind of form as being a late bloomer. Three goals and two assists in the last two. I mean, Jimenez as a, uh, a, a implacable rock in our team. Could uh, Jota be the one that we'd be considering looking at? So I guess these Wolves players are definitely something that we've focused on whilst you're away, Tom. And I think the the Wolves triple up was something we've discussed a little bit. And I think Nick and I had very much fallen on. If there was a triple to be done, it was probably to be Doherty, Traore, and then Jimenez. Uh, I think Jota's form since that, uh, I think he's five goals in five games, something like that in all competitions. It's, it's, It's pretty spectacular. And so I, I think it's it's hard to ignore, as you point out, the underlying stats are there as well. And like he has got form for this, that he did this as well last term where he came good and stat padded towards the end of the season. Like perhaps we should be kind of, I should be renaming the Iosi Perez zone, the, the Perez Jota zone um, at this rate, given how good he is at this tail end of the season. And with Wolves fixtures turning up, I definitely see a strong argument for having him like that. The three striker slots, especially at that price point, are for once really jammed up. I think in previous seasons we've been kind of starved of options at lower price ranges for strikers, but that, this season that really isn't the case. And so, like you're making a sacrifice of a a, a Dingsish character or a DCL character to get him in, but if you believe in form and fixtures, and we've got both of those, the Goldilocks zone, as you put it, Tom, then I think he's a pretty good pickup to have. That certainly, I think with a sort of formation change there, he looks like he's he's a key. Um, member of that attack and certainly um, can't be dropped as, as far as um, the manager's concerned. I think um, he still gets substituted every game, but it doesn't really matter if you're, you're banging in a couple of goals and assists as well. So uh, I think in terms of an FPR asset and with all fixtures with the form, you know, he has to be very, very strongly considered uh, for our teams. It's just, I think the problem we've got is how we fit him in into a conge- already congested front line when we've got, you know, the likes of Calvert-Lewin, we're trying to talk about the likes of bringing in Aubameyang as well. And we've all got Jimenez already potentially I think if he was a midfielder he'd be straight in but I think in terms of being forward makes it very challenging I think perhaps if you had Danny Ings he's only got one goal in six appearances a straight swap would be um, potentially a reasonable option I don't know if that's one you've been considering at all Tom Oh, I don't know. With things, I'm I'm not too sure whether I want to lose him. He's, he's still got Newcastle, Norwich, um, Arsenal uh, is is off actually, and they just lost. Uh, uh, they just lost. Uh, they've just beaten beaten Portsmouth, so that 31 game is off for Southampton and Watford. So they've got 29, 30, and 32. Uh, could I sell Dings after game week 30? After the Norwich game, probably. Um, as you mentioned in the uh, in the form versus fixtures discussion, Dings is one of those players I just m- completely missed the boat this year, and I jumped on way too late. I should have just 
to just let that boat go uh, rather than swim after it. Um, could I stop him for Jota? Yeah, I could definitely see myself doing so. Um, I need to get over my initial hatred from uh, jumping in on him at the start of this season, him doing absolutely nothing for five game weeks and then him getting nine points as soon as I sold him. Um, but yeah, um, yeah, it could be a very potent differential to have the two of them for sure. Um, it's just whether it kind of fits your team to do so and um, whether it blocks something like I don't know, having having Doherty, but having Doherty. Uh, but I guess losing Traore from consideration due to that dislocated shoulder means that Jota is, uh, uh, I guess, going to be part of the Wolves team more often than not and also could be part of our team more often than not. Definitely there's a, there's a space open for him uh, alongside Doherty and, uh, and Jimenez. So, yeah, why not? I'm not sure I'd sell him for Ings. Um, I'm probably too scared of the numbers on Ings, but... Hmm. Yeah, maybe I'll think about that more over the course of the week. I guess then, having been talking about tripling up on Wolves, James Quirrell is asking us actually about moving away from triple Liverpool and perhaps moving to a double. James points out that there's only three to four plum fixtures left for the Reds towards the end of this season. So are the alternatives such as Doherty, meaning that we should jump off? Maybe we should just have, let's say, the double Liverpool defence or maybe a defender and a midfielder. Nick, do you have any thoughts? Um, well, I mean, there's no denying that their form isn't as imperious as it was earlier in the season, especially after that, that Watford um, defeat. But there were signs of it as well in, in that game against West Ham and also the uh, Champions League match, which they lost as well. Um, and I think losing the likes of uh, Jordan Henderson has had a bigger impact, perhaps that um, bigger impact than managers would have thought, as well as um, James Milner, and also giving Dejan Lovren any form of game time at all has also had a, a bit of an impact um, to their form. But ultimately, I, I, I can't look at sending one of my Liverpool players at the end of the day. They've been pretty much, even though we've all owned them, they've been the key to most of our successes and saved our bacon in multiple game weeks. Um, just looking at three of my last five game weeks, for instance, just the three players and the captain scored at least 50% of my points. So just three players contributing that sort of level to my level my point just means that they, they really are key and I don't feel like there's a there's a financial need to to sell any of them either you know if, if I want to bring like Darcy I could actually um, straight swap him for Rico with the amount of money I've got in the bank for instance so it's not really something that I can truly consider especially with the, the Bournemouth home match which um, we all know how um, Salah did against them um, the other season so uh, yeah I, I think for me I, I think triple Liverpool has to stay I think in terms of the auto captain Salah that is a question um, you know we could be looking at Michael Bamiang as a um, decent captain pick against West Ham at home you know so um, I don't necessarily think he's an auto captain necessarily and we quadruple up essentially on Liverpool as opposed to triple up week in week out but um, I yeah I, I can't um, I can't tell one of them I don't think I will be um, right until the end of the season perhaps on this the double game weeks um, suggest I should. I think I could see why. Um, so, for example, you know, you've got Bournemouth this weekend, um, and then uh, it depends a lot as well on whether they get that thirty-one game. If they don't have that thirty-one game against Crystal Palace, they've got Bournemouth, Everton, Blank, and City. So that's four games where maybe if you're from the Liverpool double up at the back, assuming you're not going to sell Trent and you've got Robertson or VVD, maybe the door is open to selling him for Doherty for the time being. If you've got Maller. Hmm. I don't. I don't know. Again, whether you're going to be going for a set where you're going to be going, the likes of Raheem Sterling haven't really been jumping up. Maybe a downgrade to Bruno Fernandez, and then using that money to do something else could be something you'd do. Um, but 
heard of the Bournemouth game. I'm not, I'm not too sure. We're still waiting for information. Um, but a lot of the plum fixtures are, are, are kind of... Uh, are, there are still some decent-looking fixtures to come. Uh, you know, 33 Aston Villa, uh, 34 could be a double game with Brighton and 35 uh, Burnley. So th- there are some OK games uh, on the horizon. Um, I think it's, it is a very vexed question, isn't it? Because, like, yeah, you free up a lot of money, but what are you going to use that money for is my question right now. It's more about slots and capacity, if anything. Some people, you might be thinking, well, okay, I've, I haven't really got the space to fit Doherty in right now, so maybe it does make sense for me to sell Robertson in order to fit him in because I don't want to sell Ender Stevens or something like that. I don't want to sell Pereira. Um, so it really is kind of personal, but I, I think with the triple, I'm probably not going to be selling for the time being, as boring as that sounds. And I, cause I don't see very much a, a value advantage, at least, and points advantage too. Um, Stag, what do you reckon? For me with Liverpool, I think whilst they do all of a sudden seem quite mortal based on the Watford defeat, the Atletico defeat as well in the Champions League, where they actually definitely looked kind of lost, I thought, for the first time all season and they definitely showed shades of that in the latter half against Watford as well and then all the the narrow wins that they had and whilst Nick okay they did contribute to 50% of your points because it was always the players that we have that were doing the scoring so Liverpool may have been poor but still it was it was Salah it was Mane it was Trent it was maybe the defence that were actually still kind of coming through for us. And that's that's part of the problem with them too. It's like the team goes badly and yet the individuals still come through. So there is an element of just do not disturb the water when it comes to this Liverpool team. And as well, maybe getting at what you were talking about with the fixtures, Tom. Okay, they have the Champions League issue and they do need to prioritise that in the short term. But if you look a bit at this, like immediately you'd expect a huge reaction against Bournemouth. Okay, that's one game week down. That's been a fertile hunting ground for the Reds for years okay then it's game week 30 it's Everton and that's not a game that they can disrespect especially given the backdrop of humiliating Everton in the FA Cup by disrespecting them earlier in the season no way can they get away with that twice and no way will Klopp think they can get away with it twice for me personally 31 is a free hit game week and that's irrelevant of what happens for you with fixtures that's just what my plan is so I won't be selling them that game week and then it's 32 when I think I believe they can wrap up the title at City so it's hard to see that being a clear sell day either. And then we're bridging quite closely to potential double game weeks, to a good game against Villa. And so whilst the unbeaten season is no longer a thing and the championship is definitely in the bag, like bar some sort of like uh, coronavirus-infused disaster for them, I, I just don't see how there's even a logical place to sell them now. There isn't a logical reason to sell them getting at the budget thing that you guys were talking about. So whilst I think I'd be tempted to, given my position, given my need to kind of do something drastic, there's just there's no reason to do it now. It's, it's such hygiene, isn't it? It's just hygiene factor. It's the fact that it's, it is even like though they lost 3-0 to Watford, yeah. There are moments in that watching that game where I'd find it very difficult between TAA and Salah slash Mane who are just locks in most people's teams. Uh, I find it very difficult to to, to watch Liverpool without owning the two fullbacks personally they are Liverpool's number 10 so I've said many times this year and I, I think they are going to be kind of uh, uh, stuck in my team for the time being but you never know uh, maybe uh, come Friday um, oh sorry come Saturday actually um, if Robertson isn't in the team then maybe he will become dirty I just I just don't know um, but I'm fairly sure I'll be keeping on hold of them for the time being <laughs> alright uh, so, so on, on that uh, on, on that note let's move on to transfers and captains this week then um, I think it's fair to say uh, that this is going to be a short session because 
because we don't know uh, just because we're waiting to see what happens in game week 31 um, which we'll know a bit more about um, during the FA Cup uh, from the outcome of the FA Cup uh, ties this midweek um, as well as any hopeful team leaks uh, so it means we're, we're probably all going to be sitting on our transfers until 11.25 on Saturday morning I assume right? Yeah, well, 12.25 where I am, but I'll still be sitting <laughs> on my transfer. <laughs> it's 3 o'clock somewhere. Yeah, I'll still be sitting on my transfer. It, like, right now, it's looking like a Salah captaincy um, because I lack creativity. And it's even looking like I may not be making a transfer. I just I have a solid 11, and I think maybe with the 31 in mind, it's just, you know, even if I do decide to pivot, I, I'd have two transfers. I can maybe do another one of my blessed minus eight mini wildcards to try and fix everything after that. So probably no movement the, the minus eight is tempting to be honest looking at my team it's just this, this was the game week essentially with the, every team having fantastic fixtures and it all looking very exciting so um, unfortunately instead I've ended up with Chelsea Manchester City and Manchester United and, and a Brighton goalkeeper as well so it's not not looking too great for my team I'm tempted by um, I'm actually tempted just to say goodbye to Matt Ryan because I just I've fed up with this guys just wound me up royally ever since I brought him in and, and just bringing just bringing Denders and that's what I mean just I just just sort out my team just getting the Sheffield United goalkeeper for the Norwich at home game um I could I know it sounds a bit controversial but I could sell Calvert-Lewin for Aubameyang um, even though Calvert-Lewin's in fantastic form um but I've got the money in the bank so I don't know what else I can do with it to be honest or I could try and free up some other money by changing Greenwood to Aubameyang but then that involves lots of contortions to my team so I'm um, not sure how I'd do that um, but otherwise I've, I've got the captaincy on, on Salah right now Yeah, fair enough. Sounds like your team's an army of orcs Nick, uh, it might, might be worth yeah, as you said, uh, just pulling the plaster off taking a minus 8, as, uh, being 15 points behind you, that would be really really good if you did take a minus 8, well, go ahead, go take a minus 12 take a minus 16 Nick, I think that would be a really really good idea uh, yeah. Um, what am I doing this week? I don't even know yet. Maybe Perez, maybe Barnes out for Saar, uh, maybe Kun for uh, Aubameyang. Um, it looks like this uh, double game week may be going ahead. We, we, there are a few rumbles on Man City forums, etc, etc. Don't talk about too much. Uh, if that does happen, I'll be looking at probably bringing Aubameyang in and captaining him. Uh, but yeah, I think we just kind of leave this for now. We simply just don't know the time of recording. So to round it off, just to say we are who got the assist. Our Twitter is at WGTA underscore FPL you'll find Nicholas at WGTA underscore Nick and you'll find me FPL Stag at FPL Stag we have an Instagram which is WGTA dot FPL you can listen and subscribe across the potting spectrum and our league code is EIKX03 yep and last um, week there's a theme to every pod um, some of you may have picked up the references on this particular pod and last week the theme was the big Lebowski so lots of people got that onto it so lots of gift sharing which was always fun as well yeah, we'll be back next week with the man himself, Ben Quellin. Uh, when everything's settled down and we've chipped season dawns, uh, we'll have uh, Ben to come on and uh, tell us all about, well, how we're going to navigate uh, this most interesting of times. But uh, in the meantime, I hope it's just you. I'm glad to be back. I'm going to speak to you very, very soon. Goodbye. Oh, it's a goal. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? Sports Social Podcast Network.